Oh, it is good to be back, having missed the show last week. And I want to thank both Matt Russell and Lara Pitt for my return today for providing the fireworks as I came into the podcast studio. There was a nice little donut of fireworks going off as I ran through the tunnel into our little pod here. Um, <laughs> it was a nice touch. So thanks, guys. That was terrific. As your eye was. Um, I, I, I avoided uh, getting anything in my eye, amazingly, which was pretty cool as well. And uh, maybe maybe the uh, fireworks are also brought to us by Maccas because right throughout the NRL finals, this podcast is brought to you by the Monopoly game at Maccas. You can peel your way to over 69 million prizes. That's a lot of prizes. 69 million prizes in the Monopoly game from Maccas. Well, I found out last week that Lara Pitt is a guts. When she goes to Maccas, she told me she has three Big Macs, four chips and five Sundays before going back for some cookies. Do they still make them? I don't have four chips. I have a large chips. Four chips is not very much, but I have one Big Mac. What's your preference when you order at Maccas on the highway on the way to or there or back to Newcastle? So on the way back from Brookfield on Saturday night, this is how how recent. I had to pick up my daughter from a party and, you know, with... Teenagers, you, they go to a party, there'll be a ton of food and they'll eat nothing. There'll be four million pizzas at a party and invariably they'll eat nothing. Or, oh, I had something, Dad, but it was a long time ago. I need a little something just to top me up on the way home. And by the time I got back to the party or, where, you know, it was wrapping up, it was sort of 10.30 having left Brookvale Oval um, and then had a quick uh, wash down with the, the parents of the girls whose party it was. So this is after 11 o'clock, so here we are. Okay, yeah, we'll go to Macca's and I'm like, well, I need something. We're not, we're not going through the drive-thru and, and, you know, getting nothing. So Olivia got her stuff and I got a couple of cheeseburgers and a McChicken. A McChicken. No chips. No chips because I was looking after myself. Just You're an couple, athlete. A couple of cheeseburgers oh, and a McChicken. You guys are quite interesting because Matt, Maddie goes for the junior burger. Junior burger. Are you four? <laughs> my wife says I am. <laughs> she, yeah, my wife says I am often actually. Maybe that's why I keep going back for the junior burger. But And I love the pickle on it too. I love the pickle. Yeah. I do. And yeah. the special sauce uh, yeah, on yeah. the Big Mac. We talked yeah. about this, but thank you, McDonald's Monopoly, for coming on board yes. for the finals. Yes, that is outstanding. And thanks to you guys for filling in last week uh, so capably, um, talking about uh, what was a great weekend of the last week of the minor premiership and then building up the, the clashes for week one. My goodness, wasn't it a weekend of stunning rugby league results? Uh, where, where do you start? It's hard to know where. To, I guess we start at the end with yesterday with the Broncos and the Eels, seeing that that is fresh in our minds. And that will be fresh in the minds of everybody who's ever put on a Broncos jersey, still employed by the Broncos, playing, coaching, administrating. That'll be a loss that will be very tough to swallow for some time to come because that was a, that was a low ebb, wasn't it? I mean, that was it. it was embarrassing in the first half. And you sort of think, well... They'll find something here, a bit of pride, and they'll put on a bit of a sh- Well, they might, might not put on a show in the second half, but they'll produce a bit of starch. Well, there was no starch. Mm, it was no, nothing. Week one of the finals last year at Suncorp I thought was stunning when the Dragons humiliated them in front of their home fans. Yeah. This is obviously a worse off scoreline, but it's amazing how a year later they're, they're no better off, really, are they? Considering all the I turmoil think, no, they've, they've I been through. I think they're worse. Yeah. They've gone backwards. 
This is a powerhouse of the league whose old boys speak about the pride of the Broncos jersey, unlike you hear many others being spoken about, yet they've been beaten 58 nil, and all of a sudden you say, well, OK, why are the Broncos going to offer us better in 2020? They need a, a, a drastic overhaul, particularly of their spine. Clearly there are the young forwards and excitement uh, exciting youth ingredients, but they need to make significant changes over the next six months. Otherwise, it will be the same again for Anthony Seabold and his team. You know, you look at uh, Brisbane and really all year we've been saying, will they make the finals? They'll make it, but only just. And now they've gone out horribly. It's not what you expect from Brisbane. And it's been a season of uh, conversion, shall we say, from the Wayne Bennett era to the Anthony Seabold era. But that conversion process has been horrible for all involved at Brisbane overall. Yes, they've had their highlights. They've had a few good wins, a couple of little streaks. But at the end, it has to be judged. The season as a whole, given the standards that the Broncos normally meet as a failure. And absolutely so. When they wouldn't have even made the finals had the Tigers not tripped over themselves. You go back through some of the some of the losses the Tigers had. I'm back early in the season. That loss, they found a way to lose that game at Penrith. And that that was, you know, a crazy loss to have. And in the end, it cost them a place in the finals and allowed the Broncos to sneak into the finals via that draw that they had against that 90-minute draw that they had against the Warriors up there at Suncorp Stadium. That was... That was the way the Broncos qualified for the finals. And last year, they qualified for a home final. This year, they're on the road against Team 5. They've gone backwards. And sure, they've had injuries um, to some key players. Obviously, Tom Dearden, the young halfback, didn't help them. But they are a, they're a club looking for a rudder at the moment. So, uh, from, from, the, from the And I said this yesterday on Twitter, and some people agreed. Some people said, well... You know, what about Melbourne? Because I suggested that being the only team in town in Brisbane has given has, has made them soft, has robbed them of a hard edge that if there was a second team in Brisbane, there'd be that automatic competition and they would, they would have to work harder from the top of the organisation all the way to the bottom and they would be a better club for it. And what, people say, what, what about it? Melbourne? Well, Melbourne, you know, seem to go okay. Said, but Melbourne are fighting everybody. Melbourne are a very small fish in reality in a big pond, a massive sporting pond. The biggest sporting pond in Australia is Melbourne. And the Melbourne Storm have to fight for everything they get amongst that landscape down there. The Broncos could just turn up not having trained all week and nothing changes. They are still the Brisbane Broncos, the biggest mm. joint in town. And I, I think it, over time it's hurt them. They, they need some direct competition. That's, that's number one for mine. Do you think it was, at the end of the day, Anthony Seabold was coming in this year and was clearly going to shake things up? Whilst he came in saying he wasn't going to make too many changes when he arrived pre-Christmas, I think within six weeks he's openly said he realised that he was going to actually have to make some key changes and everyone has said that it was his choice to get rid of some really, really experienced players. Um, he still claims that Josh Maguire was done before he got there. Some people aren't so sure of that. Then Cody Nicarima and James Roberts weren't a part of his long-term plan, so he was honest with them and they left. So I think with that in mind, it, it does have a big impact on why they have gone backwards this year because they have lost so much of the experience. They have a wonderful forward pack. We know that, but they are still very young. So they're missing some really key leaders in key positions. Darius can't do it all anymore, and that's obviously the first conversation that Seabold is going to have to have in this off-season. And when he came on League Life a week or so ago, he was way too focused on the here and the now. But the impression that I got without him saying it directly is that once the season was over, 
some important conversations were going to have to be had, but he had too much respect for the current playing group and that would include Darius to say, you know, I'm going to have to sit down with him and talk about the future. But it gave me he gave me every impression that, yes, the six and seven are going to have to be 100% top of the list to look at. Whether there are any, if whether there's anyone with enough experience to turn them into a powerhouse again and bring them back into the top four, or where they're expected to be by their fans, is another thing. But we've seen crazy things happens in happen in an off season where players pick up unbelievable players in an in an off season, and that's that's really what they're going to need. Here are the first four questions, probably for the Broncos: Is Tom Dearden ready to be your long-term halfback starting in 2020? And if it's not ready to be your long-term successful halfback until 2023, do you go to the market and try and buy a number seven? What do you do with Darius Boyd, given that he is signed there under a player's option until the end of uh, 2021? So technically, still two more years. And is he going to be able to perform or get that form back uh, in that time? What do you do with Anthony Milford on best part of a million bucks a year and underperforming horribly? Do you move him on? Do you try and sit down and talk with him? What do you do with um, Andrew McCulloch, who's been such a great servant for them and so solid, uh, but maybe doesn't bring the dynamic play that an Anthony Cook does, that you see a Josh Hodgson come up with? And that's before you get to some of the other positions. There's four big ones straight away. So while you ponder those questions, was back to your point about being a one-city team. Uh, Where's their excuse, though, when you compare it with... 1992, Premiers, 93, Premiers, 97, 98, 2000, 2006. They were one team, one city team then. Um, why wasn't, why weren't they soft then under the likes of when Wayne Bennett was coach and you had Webke and the backline stars and, but, you know, famous Broncos who were able to say, hang on, you know, I'm not going to be soft. I'm going to set a standard that is a standard for the league. Admittedly, you, you said, I think, that as, as time has gone on, that's developed, which which might be the out. But to say that they have an excuse now as becoming soft, well, they weren't soft during those years I mentioned. So why have they gone soft now? Yeah, but, the, you know, back in the early 90s, they were a club still building an identity and, okay. and trying to, you know, prove yeah. that they belonged at that level and they could dominate at that level. And you know, they didn't dominate, but they made a ton of grand finals and won a heap of them quite obviously under Wayne Bennett during the 90s and then into 2000. They won in 2006, but... From 2006 onwards, one yeah, grand final. One, one grand final in 2015, and it's been pretty lean either side of that between 20, you know, 2006 and 2015, and then 2016 through the last four seasons as well. And Anthony Seabold is the lightning rod. He's going to attract all the attention because he's the new boy in town. He was supposed to be the golden child who was coming up to lead them into this this next generation, this new era with all these young forwards. But what we're, what we're seeing now isn't just 2019. It, this, is, this is what you see in 2019 is years in the making. And they have made poor decisions recruitment-wise and retention-wise in key positions for a number of seasons now. And, and we're, we're, they're bearing the fruit mm. of those decisions made in 2016, 2017, 2018. All of that has an impact, a big impact on what we're seeing right now, what we saw yesterday. What unfolded yesterday has been a couple of years in the making, and now they've got to find a way to dig themselves out of the hole that they are in. That's the negative. The positive is Parramatta. Yes. And given that the Broncos were diabolical, am I assuming that you two are not reading as much joy into Parramatta's performance as maybe their fans are today? Was it a bit of a false result for uh, 
the Eels, given that they now have to go to Melbourne and beat the Storm? Or after that performance, do you say, you know what, that was the real deal, they're going to Melbourne and the Storm need to be really careful? I have to put my hand up because this time last week I was sitting here saying there is absolutely no way Raiders are going go to uh, go to Melbourne twice in a season and beat the Storm. I, I am feeling the same way about Parramatta. Like, how am I falling for this again? You just cannot believe that the Storm, after last week's humiliation, you know, loss and disappointment and all of that, are going to let Para come down and put a performance on like they did yesterday against Brisbane. So that will be a completely different task and that's pretty much what Brad Arthur had to say afterwards. I mean, he'd almost be going, why wasn't it a tougher hit out? Because, you know, yes, it's great for the fans and it's great to get a 58-0 record win over a big team like the Broncos, but you have to get their minds so quickly and firmly back on the job because they're they're heading down to Amy Park and they got absolutely towed up by the storm in Magic Ground with yes. 64-10. And Brad Arthur was very quick to mention that after the game last night that we haven't forgotten about that, that humiliating effort and that's what he's going to have to drill into them because Melbourne admittedly haven't scored uh, like that and had a big um, blowout score like that many times or if at all this season. So um, I feel like Melbourne were... were uh, Definitely a below their best. I think we can all agree that with that. So it's certainly not going to be a straightforward result down there. Again, it would be a huge, huge upset. Well, their halves, Parramatta's halves will take fantastic confidence. Two tries each against Brisbane. Two try assists each as well. So what they had a hand in, eight of the 11 Parramatta tries that were scored was in what was a, a blitz in front of a sold-out Bankwest Stadium. Having the pictures out of Bankwest this season and the atmosphere at wow. numerous games this season been among the highlights of 2019. You just can't take your eyes off Fox League. And the, the end of the game or towards the end of the game, Mike Sevo scoring tries and the Sevo chant ringing out around the stadium yesterday. It's incredible. Can you imagine what it's like? Every time that happens, I think I put myself and try to put myself in his shoes, which is difficult to do. But, you know, he's come from Fiji, you know, via Gundagyth, via the Penrith Panthers to the Parramatta Eels. And here he is in playing in front of, a, you know, 30,000 people basically. Yeah. Chanting his name. And that, that's just a, such a foreign concept for, you know, anybody who grows up in Fiji, and we've spoken about this in the past. You know, I remember being on one holiday over there and we're out on one of the resorts on one of the islands and one of the young fellas who we, you know, played touch footy with and volleyball, whatever else, he was coming to Sydney and he was on the same boat as us to, back to the mainland to catch the plane and he, w- he had never been to Sydney before but he was like, I've seen photos and I've be- looked at it on, you know, on computers and stuff why did you Why did you leave Sydney to come here? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we've got nothing. You've got everything. And I'm like, yeah, but mate, we haven't got what you've got. He was He was just like, he was blown. His mind was blown that you would leave Sydney to go on holidays to go to Fiji because Sydney is incredible. And it's that would, would have been what it's like for Mike Acevo mm. to suddenly find himself playing in the NRL and having 30,000 people chant your name, having grown up in Fiji, it must be an unbelievable experience. There are a few sideways glances at Penrith as to say, whose job was it to sign Micah? (laughs) Who who was keeping an eye on this Parramatta wing sensation when he was at Penrith? Because as part of the story, obviously, it's great to mention that he came from Gundagai. A lot of people forget the fact that you very correctly mentioned there, it was Fiji, Gundagai, Penrith, Parramatta. 
And the Panthers, I'm sure, would love to have the likes of Mike Acevo in this form in their roster. Well, they may not have known what they had with Mike Acevo at Penrith, but they knew what they had with Wonga Blake. Mm. Yeah. How's he going? Another Fijian. He ran for a 1,000 metres yesterday. Yeah. It seemed like it. Every time you looked up, here he was running up and down the sideline, throwing cut-out balls back on the inside to set up more tries. It was it's like Wonga Blake. I mean, again, recruitment and retention. There'll be some people at Penrith at the moment going, what about some of our recruitment and retention in recent mm. times? How are we going? Maybe that's why they missed the finals. Anything else on Parramatta? Because as we mentioned, Parramatta's next trip is to Melbourne. And I was lucky enough to be in Melbourne. And uh, after the previous week at Leichhardt, I thought, that's it. We've seen the most amazing story of the season pre-kickoff. But they had a moment's silence for Danny Frawley. So Hannah Hollis and I were standing sideline. And during the moment's silence, we could see... Uh, Joey Leilua agitated by something and I thought contact lens, accidental finger in the eye during the warm-up and because it was so quiet, paying respect to the late Danny Frawley, we heard him say, uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version, I've got a firework in my eye and all of a sudden you think to yourself, what? And then a penny drops, he's run on while the fireworks have been going off and a bit's gone straight in his eye. Um, so you jump in and give the news and then it was bedlam because uh, Canberra had no- – this happened literally as the ball was on the tee about to be kicked off and Josh Hodgson had to tell the referee we, we, we can't have a play on the field. It, it was confusion raining and the Raiders didn't know who to send on. They didn't know whether they could send somebody on. They didn't know whether their 18th and 19th man could then join the bench, whether they'd be needed to join the bench because Joey might actually be okay. This is all unfolding in what seems like the 10 seconds before kickoff. (laughs) It was. And and ultimately the doctor removed a small piece of... uh, remnants from the sparkler, not fireworks as we've been told, but a sparkler out of the eye and he's then instantly better and able to return. But the Raiders want to bring him back on for free, so to speak. They don't want to burn an interchange. They think, well, it's not our fault that we had to make that late change, but the NRL had to go to the ops manual, the operations manual, and find that we can't, there are no rules to allow a free interchange during play under that circumstance. There's no fireworks clause. No fireworks clause. Um, You know, so... As Andrew Voss raised at half time, God forbid, what would happen if a player was running on and an object was thrown from the crowd? The same sort of scenario. Maybe there needs to be a revision of the ops manual for a circumstance that is outside a team's control. And had the Raiders gone to Melbourne and said, listen, this has happened. Do you mind if we bring Joey back on for free when he's fit? Maybe Melbourne would have said no dramas, especially given the relationship between the two coaches. But it was bedlam. And I think... You couldn't script it. And after Robbie Farrow the week before being parachuted in during the warm-up for his fairy tale farewell, you thought, I've seen it all now, Was <laughs> As you said, I've seen it all. But then it happens. And um, it, was a, it was an absorbing game. That, that <laughs> Traditionally under this final system over the last six years, 1v4 has been the closest game and it's been a low-scoring game. That's the way it was again. And uh, I, I couldn't help but... Just think about it later on, the irony, if that's the right word, that because Joey got hit by fireworks, Bailey Simonson had to go on and he's the man who scores the first try, having basically a few minutes earlier thought he was going to be watching from the bench. And then Joey proves his fitness and it's he that delivers the flick offload, the audacious pass for Bateman to score the winner. Uh, There are so many ingredients to this story. It was classic finals footy and as a result, 
you can't wait to get back down to Amy Park this weekend. You wonder what's going to happen. So you can't keep my four and two-year-old still. But when that was unfolding and the drama was sitting there going, fireworks are in his eye and they were just like, what do you mean? And quiet sitting there and then <laughs> they wanted to watch the start of the game and then was it was the perfect... Uh, scenario when Simonson scored the try. We were all cheering for him, even though, you know, neutral here, not really caring which team wins. The fact that he's thrown into the deep end and comes straight back on, comes on and scores the opening try, it was it was awesome to watch. It was so good because you felt like that was going to completely throw the Raiders. You thought, you know what, they're going to have, they're going to drop their bundle here because it's a late shuffle and Ricky's probably having kittens up in the box and the messages are going out. So you would have thought that would have definitely made a slower start for the for Canberra, but I guess that tells you where they're at at the moment. They're in a very good place, aren't they? Mm. A really good place. Now they've got that prelim final down there at home in uh, in a week and a half and there'll be something to beat down there. They're trying to get extra seating in. Are they? At the moment, they're trying to get an extra 2,500 seats, some temporary seating put in, I guess, maybe on the uh, eastern side of the ground above the inner bowl there. There might be some uh, some spots at either end of the grandstand where they can put an extra 1,000 fans in either side. So they're going to try and get it to... You know, basically a 30,000. I think it's 27,500 is capacity. I think they're trying to get it to 30,000 for the prelim final, which will be, it'll be extraordinary, won't it? I asked Joey Leilu, are you looking forward to the Viking clap in week three? And he said, no, we don't play at home in week three. I said, nah, yes, you do, Joey. And he said, no, no, that rule wasn't changed. We're playing elsewhere. Uh, Joey, you're, you're playing <laughs> at home. Yeah. And you've got the Viking clap that's going to be awesome. He was deli- When he heard that and, and actually dawned on him, you could see his face lit up. He thought, how good is that going to be? It's going to be an occasion for the Raiders playing for a grand final position in front of a home crowd with the Viking clap at the start. That's a fortnight away. And, and on the other side of it, Melbourne afterwards... Uh, Craig Bellamy was very polite and respectful, but he was a very unhappy man as I approached him for an interview afterwards. And uh, he made it very clear that it's probably not best to put a microphone in front of his face at that time. Uh, as I said, he, was, he handled it. I had no trouble with his, uh, uh, what he had to say and, and why he was saying it. But no, he, he, he was trying to just get himself in the right place without saying something silly after. I suppose partly because of the error that his team has made. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was the officiating howler as well. And I think uh, when you lose a final and you're as competitive and intense as Craig Bellamy uh, and it doesn't all go to plan in terms of his game plan, then he was one angry ant. Yeah, a tough one for Josh Adokar, who's been so good for a bunch yeah. of seasons now to have that situation where he comes out, drops the ball and and the Raiders score off the back of it to uh, to win the game. And we know what happened with the short kickoff. Uh, Suliasi Vunavalu on replay probably didn't touch the, the line. But, you know, there's a bunch of calls like that throughout the game. I know it's a key one and would have given them a, given them a chance. You know, it was it's all in that situation. It's like, oh, Costa, that cost him. Like, it wasn't like he was diving for the to score a try, and ruled out. And we find out later on, he you know he was in. They still had to try and conjure a try somehow. So, yeah, anyhow, or kick a, a kick a goal. So, as someone said that you know that that officiating howler didn't cost them the game because they wouldn't have had the short kickoff had they not dropped the ball at the other end. That's right. And uh, just a quick one before we leave this game. Tell me if you believe Joey Leilua or not. I asked him about that last try. He's heading across field, men on his outside. Why not play the more traditional safe pass to your right? And he said that Jared was having a rough night with the boot. I realised we needed a converted try. I didn't want to score out wide, so I flicked it back inside so Bateman could go under 
the posts and therefore we had the conversion from in front to win rather than out wide. Mm. I said, hang on, hang on, let me stop you, you thought there. thought about that. I said, so in this intense moment you're actually thinking, no, we need to convert the try so I'll pull the flick offload to Bateman rather than going so you actually game aware enough to decide there and then said yep I practice at training all the time and I knew that the flick pass would work would go into the posts Jared wouldn't have to convert from out wide true or false from Joey Leilua do you think it's I a good think story we underestimate BJ don't we he deeps, he thinks deeply about rugby <laughs> league in every moment and every second of the game clearly I told a few people who uh they doubted. <laughs> Maybe that Ricky story. told him to say that. <laughs> I believe him completely. I believe it's amazing what you can. I mean, you know, I've never been in that situation, but you can, you know, your your mind can work pretty quickly when you need it to. So I I believe him. I've got, but, and further to it, Ricky said afterwards, if any bloke in our team, if any bloke in our team was going to get fireworks in his eye running out. It's Joey Leilua. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Well, uh, they've got some fireworks in celebration tomorrow. It's the Malmeninga medal. So they can, I imagine they'll be enjoying that this year because they've got the week off to sort of let their hair down a little bit. Mal, Big Mal's going to be down there to mm. present. I, I think you'd have to think, is John Bateman one of the favourites? Jack Whiten. It's voted on by the players, I think. Well, I'm, I'm You'd have to say John Bateman. He, he's got to be one of the most popular boys. Oh, Josh Hodgson, of course. Sorry. You know how when you travel around these games and you, you remind me when you mentioned John Bateman, you catch those moments in the dressing room that are just, um, they stay in your mind. And if you had a camera, you thought that would be a beautiful shot. Between the dressing rooms in Melbourne, there's the first door and there's a vacuum and then there's the second door. That, that first little chamber is a nothing area. And after we'd done the dressing room interviews, um, I was walking out and who should be just crouching in the corner of that vacuum area by himself, in a sort of emotional state on his phone, I oh. expect talking to his daughter back in England, John Bateman, just by himself on the phone, FaceTiming back to England, having scored the winning try in the grand final. And I thought, wow, what a little picture right there. Uh, I didn't say anything. I just walked straight past and left him to his private moment. Mm-hmm. But it was a really nice, the, this player still dressed in his gear, tape on, beer in hand, phone in the other, FaceTiming his daughter back in England. I thought it was really good. Hannah's done a story with John. I don't know if she told you, and Millie, his daughter, uh, and it's on League Life tomorrow when she was here recently. Um, so we got an insight into John as the as the dad. And I don't know if you guys are aware, he became a dad when he was in school. He was 16. Mm, yes. So there's that famous photo of him holding a newborn in his school uniform. So, you know, she's, I think, nine now or close close to ten anyway and um, she comes over as much as she can. And, um, yeah, Hannah's gone to the Canberra Zoo with them, to Mal Zoo, and uh, shown Good her job. some of the wildlife in Australia. And, yeah, he's a wonderful dad and, and his mum came out too for a little while. So, yeah, he's, he's a real family man and I'm sh- he, he said in, on League Life at the beginning of the year it's a huge decision to come and leave mm. her and leave his family. Not many um, – it's hard for – men of the, is it north of England, to to leave. It sounds like weird to us because we travel all the time mm. across the world, Australians, but it was a huge decision for him to come here and the game of the NRL has been very lucky to have him this year. And the first thing he did when he had that uh, fractured eye socket earlier in the season, yep. uh, was once he had the operation everything was okay, he was given the all clear to jump on a plane. He went straight back home for a couple of weeks, you know, with the, uh, with the well wishes of the club, quite obviously. They said, mate, yeah, go home. Go home and spend some time with your daughter and um, and hang out and then we'll see you back in a few weeks' time and you get yourself ready for the second half of the season. So, was um, How was Chernobyl? Uh, it certainly had an effect <laughs> on the Cronulla Sharks. They've been tested today for radiation poisoning apparently because they did not turn up to Lotto Land. I think that was an amazing result. I could not have been more confident about the Sharks' chances heading into this game. Perhaps in my mind it was the final that I was most certain about. And as it turned out, 
most uncertain about. Well, it's funny, it's doing the preparation for the game, um, I, I was a bit like you, quite obviously. You think, well, the Sharks are you know, heavy favourites, given Manly's predicament with all those injuries and the suspension for Marty Tapao. You think, you know, the, the Sharks should win this game and, and advance to week two. But, you know, my job as a broadcaster is to tell you, give you all the scenarios and to give you reasons as to why Manly can still win this game. And I only had to go back to the game they played back in round 10 this year where the starting halves for the Manly Seagulls against the Sharks at Cronulla, a game they won 24-14, were Kane Elgie and Cade Cust on debut. That was the starting halves pairing for Manly and they beat them and played well. And Fanua Blake scored a try in that game that got them on the board early and they were never headed. And so when you look at that and you go, well... Why couldn't they, at home, especially in a final, big crowd? I don't know if it was actually a sellout still. I don't think they actually closed the gates, which is stunning and another story in itself. And I guess maybe some of the faithful had lost the faith, given the injuries and the suspension and the players missing, that they maybe didn't believe that Manly could get the job done against the Sharks on Saturday night. But all they had to do was... And the Sharks at times this season have been very good, but at times they've been pretty ordinary, haven't they? Otherwise, they wouldn't have been in this predicament while they are on the road finishing seventh and having to go across the bridge to play Manly in week one of the finals. And Adam Fanua Blake did what he's been doing all season, sets the standard, made it a, a personal thing that he's going to run over the top of Paul Gallen and did it a, a two or three times. And so once they got on the front foot, well, why couldn't they go on and, and play as they have done it times this year. You go back to earlier in the season when they lost Tom Travojevic with his hamstring, second time he'd done it, they beat the Rabbitohs that mm. day. They beat Canberra. The team we're now talking about, you know, boy, what a chance they've got to win the Premiership. They didn't have Tom Travojevic and they lost Daly Cherry Evans during a game at Brookvale against Canberra and despite those players missing, they found a way to beat the Raiders at home as well. So, uh, with all this in my mind, I'm going there thinking, well, I can, I can see a path, I can see a way that Manly can win this game, but to, to do it the way they did, to go crash-bang-wallop, three tries in the and it was almost a point a minute, 18 points in the first 20 minutes of the game. And in their last 17 games against the Seagulls, the Sharks had lost 15 of those games and only scored 20 points twice mm. in their last 17 games. And here it is, it's 18-0, and you've got this hoodoo uh, having up, only won there five times out of 39 games. Suddenly the numbers were looking pretty ordinary for the Sharks. And they're a team that very much looks like, you know, their premiership window. They won the comp in 2016. They've been thereabouts quite obviously the next, the last whatever seasons. But that premiership window might have just closed for the time being. Well, they've been hit by injuries. They've been... Uh inconsistent in terms of being able to name the same back line. They've shuffled players every which way. They've been uh, inconsistent through their games. It, it has been a season where you were just waiting for them to get their shite together, and they never did. They never did. You always thought they were coming. Every win you thought, that's the start of the run. But there were injury woes, goal-kicking woes, a shuffled team week in, week out, and in the end, yeah. Mm. Goodbye, Cronulla. I think I told you on the podcast a couple of times I've done Sharks games. The players, even after wins, the Sharks players have been frustrated this year. They've never felt comfortable or that they've clicked properly, even where scorelines suggest otherwise. There's a huge reason why Manly shouldn't have won this game. Even if you look at their lineup, their back row, sorry, Jack Kajewski has played really well this year. 
Uh, Corey Waddell has come off the bench for every game pretty much other than this one. Kepi starts in the front row with Adam Fanua Blake. How'd he go, Sean Kepi? Sean Kepi played great. But the role that Jack Gajewski has had on the night, for me, it sums up what Des does. He obviously gave him that role to run on the right edge the whole night, run off daily, run off daily, just keep running that line, keep running that line. It's just everyone, and we hear it all the time, just knowing your role, simplifying it, having the confidence that if you just do your job, we can get the result. Uh, and... And Des is a master at it. They're clearly. going to be written off again this week against South Sydney. And that's aren't they, fine. Man? Not and by that's... me. Uh, uh, well, there you go. Not by me. Uh, because let's take a look at the two games they played this season. They beat South. Head didn't to they? head, they beat South in that game I mentioned over yep. there at Brookvale, where Tom Travojevic really injured his hamstring. DCE. 13 12 win. And then the Bunnies got them at ANZ, but it was 21 20, another game that went to a field goal. So there's been one point between the two of them in the two matches they've played this season. And I know they still will be below strength with no Curtis Sirenen, no Joel Thompson, but they get Marty to power back. And there's no Tom Travojevic still at the back quite obviously, but there's belief and belief is everything in sport. And they'll have a confidence. And and similarly to the Melbourne Storm, who will have all the pressure on them when they play the Eels this week at home. There'll be massive pressure on South Sydney because if the Broncos have gone nowhere under the coaching of Anthony Seabold compared to last season uh, in 2019. Well, what about the Rabbitohs under the coaching of Wayne Bennett? I mean, here they are. They're facing going out of the finals in straight sets mm. after everything that's been said about Wayne Bennett. And, you know, we saw the jig that he did in the dressing room up there at, at Brisbane. and that They got that win. But maybe, you know, in hindsight... That win wasn't, you know, the, the form line of the Brisbane Broncos isn't a great form line now, isn't it, when you look at it? So, may, we, you know, maybe we should be taking with a bit of grain of salt some of the Rabbitohs' performances towards the back end of the season. While they looked pretty good at times, I've got man, I've, I'm giving Manly a massive chance in this game. And really, I think it's a toss of the coin. I, 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 I couldn't comfortably make either of them a, a warm favourite, even a slight favourite in this game. I think it's a... It's a toss of the coin. It's $1.90 each of two. The Rabbitohs were filthy. I was in the sheds after the game and spoke to Adam Reynolds and to Damien Cook. It's very hard to ask players to speak when they've been so badly humiliated uh, in such a big game at the SCG, all those things coming into it. But both of them uh, agreed to have a quick chat. Uh, Damien Cook said that Sam Burgess addressed the playing group immediately after the loss and got up and said there's a lot of players in the room and in this team that haven't played finals football, I can tell you I've lost week one of the finals and we've come back from that and we can do it. So uh, Sam will be a huge inclusion for them coming back from the suspension this week. The big question is and has always been at the back end of the season is his fitness and also I feel like a lot, a lot of the players seem to be playing injured at the moment and they just looked completely a step behind the Roosters in, in all areas. So, yeah, and I don't know that you can afford to be like that against this Manly side. At all. And does Adam Fanua Blake target uh, Sam Burgess like he did Paul Gallon? You know, you, you talk about cutting the head off the snake. Obviously, if you minimise the effect of um, Sam Burgess and you're in good stead, I wonder which Manly Seagull will be given the task of ripping in and harassing Sam. You know, it's probably not Jake Trebojevic's go. He, he's, you know, but I, I can imagine Adam Fanua Blake sitting down in the dark corner with Des and having a little whisper, what we need you to do, Adam, is... And then you write your own script. 
Mm. But now that the uh, the Burgess brothers are back, both Tom and George, mm. does Sam revert back to the right edge where he's been playing most of the season? Good point. And um, I know he's played in the middle more recently, but they've been short-staffed as far as middle forwards are concerned. Uh, maybe Sam reverts back out to the right edge and they don't come head-to-head on that many occasions. It might be, you know, John Sutton, the veteran. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, um, on the left-hand side, Corey Waddell, um, having to take on Sam Burgess mm. uh, because I'm sure Waddell will be on the left-hand side and Gashevsky, who who was tremendous, as you mentioned, Lara, I'm sure he wasn't 100% fit. I, he's got I, that knee injury. He, definitely yeah. doesn't look like he's – he'll, he'll love this game against his former club. He's had That's a, what I was thinking. Absolutely. He's yeah. had a tremendous season. So, um, yeah, I, I – so uh, it's, it's Adam Fanua Blake. He's the key, isn't he? And with Marty to power back, it makes it it's the one-two punch. But Fanua Blake's got that little bit of footwork at the line that he can just poke his nose through, get a quick play the ball, and off the back of that, we saw Coruscant score a try um, early in the game against the Sharks on Saturday night. And either he or Manasi Fayunu, well, oh boy, if they if they get a chance off the back of Fanua Blake, they're gone. And the Rabbitohs will have to do an enormous job on Marty to power. And if Marty bends the line and then next play for Newell Blake gets a legs tackle or slips, you know, half through the tackle and supplies a quick play the ball, you know, they can score a try in a heartbeat. And they will do, they have the potential to do to the Rabbitohs what they did to the Sharks. Probably similar to Para, though. It will be a different game. The Sharks were, I think we have to say, they were pretty awful. I mean, not as bad as Brisbane, obviously, but... And small things become big things, and we were speaking about this after the game, and Sean Johnson played pretty well against the Tigers, but the Tigers, again, are no form line, as we've said through most of the season, like the Broncos and a few other teams. Sean Johnson kicked two balls dead, yeah. and they weren't. there was no pressure on him on either of those two kicks, and little things become big things in big games, and giving Manly... Seven tackle sets where you're trying to build pressure on them. And if they are short-staffed, let's just camp them in their own end, get up in their faces and, and bash them defensively and make them use up some petrol early on. And while we may not score points early on, we'll get them at the back end of the game. Those two kicks early in the game to give them the easy way out and get Manly on the front foot at the ends of those sets at the other end of the field, they were huge plays, as it turns out. And I'm sure Sean Johnson sitting there, you know, on Mad Monday today for the Sharks, he'll be thinking, boy, I, I, I need to improve my game management and also my execution at the ends of sets because that really hurt them on Saturday night. We sat on the couch and there was a big groan when he did that. We were just like, really? That, as you said, no pressure. You're like, that is just suicide yep. in, a, in a finals game. I think what that told me the Sharks and the Broncos going out is there was a huge di- uh, divide between the top six and seventh to six to 16th mm. this year. I don't think, you know, other, other than Manly obviously losing Turbo and then having a bit of back, like last couple of games jitters, they've, they've been, and with Para up with the top four all year and the six, seven and below, uh, seven and eight below ne- didn't deserve to even be in the finals. I don't think the Sharks and the Broncos... No. Deserved it this year. The West Tigers didn't. I know they nearly did, but they no, weren't they, good enough this year. So, yeah, we've we've got the right six teams through to week week two. And let's just put some numbers on those front rowers who've been praising for Manly for Newer Blake. One hundred and eighty six run meters and eight tackle busts. That's a game high or joint game high, along with uh, uh, Brendan Elliott, the fullback for Manly. But then Sean Kepi. Because I missed the first half. We were in the Canberra shed still. He finished with 46 minutes, punched out, you know, more than a half of footy, 138 run metres. 
you know, for a bloke in an elimination final, called on in desperate times, that's... Talk about standing up to the challenge. Both those front rowers have really provided the platform and now they get Marty to power back, so maybe Kepi misses out. And there was no T-Rex. I thought that was interesting. I thought, was that a big Des, yes, like, yes, throw-off? His and, story. And, and is he going to play this week because he thinks I can only get one really big game out of T-Rex because he may not be up to NRL standard or is it just not going to happen? Or is it just to take some of the attention away from, from people young saying, people, Manly, why are they? Look at the injuries yeah. they had. They can't win. Poor Manly. Mm. And Des thinks, well, here's a story. Cover this story. T-Rex about to return from extinction. And meantime, he has the players who are going to play working diligently alongside all these stories, uh, not hearing that Manly have lost this player and that player to the extent they might have if there wasn't the T-Rex story to get stuck into. It was a great smother. (laughs) One of the best smothers ever. T-Rex makes a comeback from two knee reconstructions. I can't believe we fell for it. All all manner of off-field issues in recent times. And, you know, well, again, you've got to do your prep. So not having seen him play since, you know, he played, what, a, a game? He, he re-injured his knee in his one game with the Eels. He played one game the year before with the Sharks. So he'd played no NRL in three seasons, basically. And so I wanted to have a look at him. So I went back and, and had a look at the New South Wales Cup. Uh, Blacktown. Cup, uh, right. Playing for Blacktown, playing for the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles, which is curious. Cause I, I, <laughs> I, I played sport at one stage for Blacktown Workers and... Um, yeah, to see a team called the Blacktown Workers Seagulls is pretty weird for me, trust me. But they've got that, that Fairfield, southwest of Sydney connection now with Faye Inu and um, Amoli Olakauatu. Um, and, and trust me, he's the player who will keep T-Rex out of the team. And Moses Suli, of course, is, a, is another Fairfield boy. But Olakauatu, he's the player who will keep T-Rex out of the, the game this week because he's a middle... He can play in the middle. Olakawatu, he's okay. he's T-Rex big. He's 113 kilograms, 196 centimetres. If T-Rex could play some time in the middle of the field, then I'd say, he, yes, he's a chance. But I think they need Parrot, Olakawatu, and also Sipley to play in the middle of the field. Lloyd is big and carrying <laughs> some condition, but here he is at the back end. And like Got through 28 minutes. And, and seriously, he's a story in himself because... He could have died. That's not that's not beating it up. He could have died early last season when he had heat stroke and was, you know, like in a really, really bad way in the early weeks of pre-season training at Manly for the 2018 season. So, and here he is. That's, he's a story in himself that he, mm. at the end of the 2019 season, comes out and gets a chance to be a part of a push into the finals. If T-Rex could play some time in the middle of the field, then I'd give him a chance to play against the Rabbitohs, but I, that would be a massive risk given what we know about him. And, and when I went back and looked at that vision of him playing for the Blacktown Workers Seagulls, he wasn't playing in the middle of the field. It was still T-Rex mm. running up his lane on the left-hand side of the field. You know, if he got a touch, he gets a touch, but he wasn't going looking for the ball. It was a great smother by Des. And we all fell for it. We'll wait and see if he trots it out again this week. But, you know, um, I, I don't know that anyone's falling for it second time <laughs> second around. Time. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So we'll see. But I, I'm not falling for it this week. Do we have the final system right, given that uh, we can no longer have teams one and two at the end of the regular season meeting in the grand final? So 26 rounds of hard toil, 25 rounds of hard toil, I'm sorry, is undone by one result post-season? 
I'm happy. <laughs> maybe maybe it's because I just don't want to see them again in the grand final, the, the Storm and the Roosters. But, yeah, I can understand if you're Melbourne, you're thinking, wow, it's all come down to this. Now we're on the other side of the draw. We're on the same other side of the draw again. No, the same side as... If they win, yeah, yes. same if side they win they'll go to the yeah. SCG yep. to yep. play the Roosters in week three. And oh, I'm sure if you asked anybody at the Melbourne Storm in the last whatever, that if you're going to win the comp, you've got to go through the Roosters at some stage, mm. whether it's the prelim final or the grand final. So if they're good enough... They'll have to beat the Roosters to win the comp. I mean, you know, I think most people would agree that the Roosters have been, you know, always looked very, very likely to be a grand finalist, if not premiers again this year, if they all can get on the park at the same time. And now they've got a week off. They should be all pretty good. Jake Friend is probably, you know, yep. A-OK a- to go. Um, Boyd Cordner has still got this quad issue off the back of his calf issue. Um, so oh, he'll be fine, you would imagine. Um, so they, yeah, they'll, they'll be fit and firing and ready to rock. So yeah. whether they're playing the Storm or the Eels, um, it won't really matter to them. I think the Storm know, though, how important that week off is and now they've got to do it the hard, hard way. They'll back themselves to, to get to the SCG. But I think what, what are the, what's the stat on if you get the week off, how much more likely you are to make well, it to the GF? I'm sure it will be provided to us over yeah. the next fortnight. But I've got a little stat for you. The Melbourne Storm have never played at the SCG. Oh, well, that's true, yes. The Melbourne Storm have never played at the SCG, so will go there for the first time with their season on the line against a team that has played at the round cricket ground and done very, very well there. So don't underestimate just how valuable it is for the Roosters in that game and how costly that defeat to the, um, to the Raiders was for Melbourne, given that they were banking on being back at Amy Park in week three, as they have been so often in recent years, playing for a grand final berth. Now they have to go to a ground they've never played at. The Roosters are incredible. I just feel like shut the gate. They're going to win the whole thing. after <laughs> going, in the the sh- going into the sheds after that game and it's just, it's all, it's so under control. And I know that they won and, and all of that, but Le- Luke Keery coming back, have you ever seen a player come back into a team and complete them no, as was, much as he does? You Cooper me. Cronk, you don't even need to see him feature. Whatever he does, he sprinkles his magic dust. He's definitely important, Cooper. He talks to everyone and he organises everyone, but Luke just runs the show. And they were going left, they're going right. And after the game, up the middle, after the game, I spoke to Joey Manu because that incredible try that he flicked to BMOZ, that BMOZ then got out to Teddy and Teddy scores. BMOZ in his 250th game cannot believe that his career is ending the way it is, or, you know, not yet, but on a high at the Tricolours with his family at the moment, loving life. And when I spoke to Joey Manu in the sheds afterwards and everyone's just loving that Joey's getting a bit of ball and a bit of airtime because, let's face it, we've all been waxing lyrical about the Roosters' left edge for a long time and Luttrell is super competitive. So Joey's telling me that in tra- at training, uh, Robbo has them left edge, right edge, doing a posed all week. And Joey said Luttrell's been hammering him in the pose, just <laughs> giving it to him because he, you know, it's a competitive spirit between the two star centres at the Roosters. Luttrell wants to get the better of Joey and probably wants the ball more or just as much as Joey does. So uh, they're loving and, and I asked Robbo about it. I said, you know, we're always talking about the left side and last week um, you said you were really happy with Joey's first half but you wanted to see him get more involved. And, and again, it's obviously a ploy. They're unlocking that right side now and Joey Manu is a superstar. An absolute superstar. It's such a joy to speak to him. He's so softly spoken. He had his whole family in the sheds chatting after the game for, for a really long time. And I met Joey when he was at the 
uh, Story Boy house at the Roosters, which is where they keep their under-20s players under one roof. And he was so unassuming and just in the 20 system and, you know, Luttrell was upstairs with his brother, Shaq in a in one of the rooms and everyone was talking about oh Latrell's the next big thing and I went up and had a chat to Latrell he was only 17 or 16 at the time and I remember Joey said the prayer at the dinner table and he was so softly spoken and I couldn't forget him but there wasn't too many too much buzz around Joey it was just you know oh yeah these are all the young kids at the at the Roosters and it's all about Latrell anyway it's just so wonderful to see mm. Joey coming and into his own he's an out and out superstar and uh, and loving that he's getting all the uh, attention now <laughs> on the right edge for the Roosters. Yeah, big units, Latrell and Joey. Well, I mean, it's a big back line. If you take out Luke Keery and Cooper Cronk, the wingers and the centres, they are some very big men. I mean, Brett Morris, if people – and, you know, we're fortunate we get to see these guys behind the scenes and stuff. It's like Brett Morris has played his career on the wing – You'd be shocked if you haven't met Brett Morris in person. You'd be shocked how big he is. Yes. Yeah. Well, when Latrell walks Wingspan. past and you see how thick he is through the chest, mm. you think, I wouldn't like that barrel chest oh. running into me. But is the only potential curveball for the Roosters this storyline regarding Jake Friend and how they're going to bring him back into the team? Because Robbo says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just not going to tell anyone. Lara, do you know? Has he told you? He or hasn't, given you but I, my feeling is 100% Jake Friend is coming back into the starting lineup. Sammy to the bench. Sam on the bench. Jake Friend is like a god at the Roosters. Yeah, yeah. He is held in such esteem there. So that was, the, that was the vibe I was going in with. Well, Sam's had a wonderful game tonight. I feel like the impression of Sam is, yes, he's a great player. He's not an 80-minute hooker. He did a great job against South. He's, he, after about 60 minutes out there, he starts to fatigue and he doesn't have the impact on the game that an 80-minute hooker who's seasoned like a like a Jake friend can do. Jake's not going to be 100% fit, though, to play the 80, so you've got Sam on the bench. But there is no doubt mm. that the co-captain will be starting nine in the prelim final if he's fit and ready to go. You can lock that in, and should they win the prelim final, we'll give them a chance to go back-to-back and take the prize. And just a reminder that throughout the NRL finals, this podcast is brought to you by Macca's. Download the Monopoly game and play on the app to win prizes. Thank you to Maccas for being part of You Can Take Me Now. I have seen it all. I better get on the phone to Robbo and he better name Jake Friend at nine or I'm going to feel like a real moron. <laughs> I, I think you're right, Lara. No, no, I really no, do. Pff, I really <laughs> that is just that an was ad- just the vibe I got. It was almost like a laugh when you asked them, oh, how are you going to fit Jake back in the team? Yeah. It's like, well, what? What I do you love- mean? Yeah. He's Gold-plated. guarantee you can take that to the bank uh, and I'll give you interest because, um, yeah, Jake Friend, he he will be playing. If he's fit and good to go, he'll be be playing in the nine jersey for the Roosters against either the uh, the Storm or the Eels. So have we reached the point where we need to – I guess we've spoken about the games coming up this weekend. I've I've got the the Bunnies and the the Seagulls as a toss-of-the-coin job. Um, are you prepared to put them on the line and, and give us a winner? I'm an all-in sort of guy, was so I've I've lost last week by going against um, Manly. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm all in on South to actually make me right second time around. If not, I'm walking out here without a shirt, <laughs> destitute and drunk. <laughs> Fair enough. Not for the first time. Not for the first time. I'm going to say South for one more one more round. They'll run around. They'll get through to this to the prelim, but that'll be it after that. Because should, should they lose, it'll be a pretty ordinary end again off the back of what happened last year, won't it? Yeah. 
with a different coach. And it, you know, the old trading places scenario between Seabold and Wayne Bennett. They could catch up for a post uh, a postseason sort of review. Wayne and Anthony, Jason, Dimitri were along for that. <laughs> there, he'd as go. Well. Yeah, Paul, have a barbecue at Paul White's house. There you go. <laughs> wow. the, the picture's complete. Boy, that would that'd be something. I, I, I don't know if there's a barbecue at Paul White's Darius, house. Darius can be the today, waiter. But at some stage, there will be a barbecue at Paul White's house, and there'd be some fairly some frank and earnest discussions taking place, wouldn't there? Yeah, because you know they need to find a way. Mm. The Broncos, as we mentioned earlier on. I think it's South against Canberra week three in the capital. That'd be good. That would be a tremendous scenario. Either way, I mean, the storyline of Manly, who were down there not that long ago, quite obviously, in a tight game. Again, there there was 26 penalties and there was so much spoken about that game between the Seagulls and the Raiders. Should they get a rematch, it'd be fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It will be. But if anything, I'm more dubious about Melbourne. I think Melbourne will beat Parramatta just because they're too good. They're not the sort of they're not really a straight set sort of team, are they? They're not really a out the back door and straight set sort of team in my eyes. So, but the confidence and the way that uh, Parramatta performed tells me they have to be a chance. The only thing in the back of my mind is I'm thinking it was against Brisbane. You know, Brisbane were horrible. Yeah. So there is that, but you know, you can play a team into form and that's that's watching. What it was almost like an opposed training session, like a, a, as physical as it gets. Opposed training session yesterday between the Eels and the Broncos, but the way they made the ball sing, Reed Marnie and Mitch Moses, Dylan Brown, the, they were hitting players on the chest at speed. I've, yeah, the ball has rarely moved across the park in recent times in the NRL. The way the Eels were able to make it move yesterday, it was something to watch and. You know, if they can bottle that for a couple more weeks and like, you know, as we say, against Melbourne, they won't have the same play the ball speed, quite obviously. And we know with Melbourne, when they're under pressure, what happens is they revert to type. Mm. And you know exactly what they'll be working on this week. And while they didn't score many points and you'd be everyone would be thinking, oh, they'll be working on their attack this week down there in Melbourne, trying to get things right. Uh-uh, no. 80% of their work this week will be with defence because they'll figure they'll need to be good against an Eels, an attack that showed plenty against the Broncos quite obviously, but they win games with defence. They've won games with defence for 15 years and they will be thinking we'll win a game on this weekend against the Eels with defence. So that will be their focus this week. Yeah, I was surprised, not surprised, but I have to keep reminding myself, yes, they are a wonderful defence. They're also the best attacking team in the league, Melbourne, in terms of points per game. So attack's not a problem for them. They didn't score enough points to beat Canberra, but it was that sort of game. You're right, points, they've got enough points in them. They've just got to stop Parramatta. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, Canberra's defence has been obviously very good in 2019. That's why they are where they are now in a prelim final. The Eels, you wouldn't say the same thing about their defence no. uh, throughout most of the season. They haven't been as good as the Canberra Raiders. So Clean sweep. Everyone thinking Melbourne is through to play the Roosters in week three? Yeah, sorry about it. I am. I, I really love the para story and I'd love to see them keep going. It's a shame that they run into Melbourne in Melbourne. I just cannot see. Uh, the one thing that stood out for me in that Melbourne performance was that the frustration continues to boil along when, when calls are going against the storm now that maybe weren't. I know that they've had a lot of attention on their the way they play and all of that, and I feel like some calls they feel they're feeling hard done by at the moment, and they're getting stuck mentally in those moments in games. And 
maybe it's because they, they feel a little bit hard done by at the moment. Everyone's on them about sure. their style and all of that. And there was still a couple of moments on the weekend where they would, you know, you see that face from Cameron where he's like, are you serious? He's looking at the ref, you know, that this, like as if it never happens to the storm. You know, why are we on the wrong end of the stick? And, and you know, we're a disciplined team. We're, you know, we're all these things normally. So why are we suddenly, and maybe that's mentally weighing, weighing them down in their performance. I don't know. But I just feel like, I mean, I felt like the Raiders weren't going to get the job done. So I'm not going to deter from that line of thinking. I think Melbourne, in Melbourne, Parramatta were incredible on the weekend, but it's going to take such a massive effort to go down there and beat them. You couldn't find a bigger contrast in styles, could you, between the defence of Melbourne and the attack of the Eels that they showed so well against the Broncos yesterday. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Melbourne at home. It's hard to imagine them going out in straight sets, but an intriguing battle between those two teams to see who moves through to be at the SCG the week after against the Roosters. There'll be fireworks, Was There'll be fireworks. <laughs> Will there really? Will <laughs> Light there? Light them up, baby. Don't <laughs> do that again, please. They're cancelled. That tu- I want the fireworks. I came in up with the fireworks going through the tunnel. I want fireworks on the tunnel as we walk out of here. Bring back the parachutists. Right Thanks for listening in, uh, and we'll be back same time, same place next week for You Can Take Me Now. I'm off to get Maccas. I have seen it all. Yum, yum.